0: Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully, and the author joining you in your classroom or wherever you're listening for this episode is the truly talented Catherine Doyle. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine.
1: Thank you for having me. It's
0: our pleasure. Now, Catherine, Many of our listeners will probably know you as the author of the fantastic Stormkeepers Island trilogy. Well, I say trilogy, the third is due to be published next year. Is that right? That's right. It's coming out March 4th. Oh, and I suspect you have a lot of fans listening who are very much looking forward to that. But your first books were a set of action-packed thrillers for, for young adults, so our listeners may not have come across them yet. And now you've gone in another completely different direction with your latest book, The Miracle on Ebenezer Street. Do you like experimenting with
1: genres and audiences as an author? Is that is that a thing that you do? I think it can be really enjoyable to write something a little bit different every single time. But when I started writing, for example, the Stormkeeper trilogy, <laughs> I really found my love of magical middle grade fiction. So sort of adventure stories full of magic and humor are sort of my heartland. Yeah. And so with The Miracle on Ebenezer Street, even though that seems quite different to the Stormkeeper series on the surface, it's actually quite similar in terms of themes. So it's very adventurous. It's full of magic and fantasy and twists and turns and a lot of humor. So it didn't feel hugely different to me when I was writing it, which was, I think, a good thing. But what was special about the experience, I suppose, of the Miracle at Ebenezer sheet was that it was sort of steeped in the magic of Christmas, which is its own thing entirely.
0: Are you a bit of a Christmas fan?
1: I love Christmas. I don't think there's <laughs> anybody in Ireland who loves Christmas more than me. It was an absolute dream come true to get to sort of play with Christmas with this book for, for several months last year.
0: <laughs> and it is I have to say it is an absolutely gorgeous book. It's it's a great story. There's plenty of magic as you say it. It's just infused with with Christmas spirit. And it's also a really touching look about how loss can affect people differently and and how to tackle living the rest of your life when when what you thought was the thing that made life worth living has been taken away. Mm. But what makes it extra interesting, I think, is that it has another novel sort of lurking behind it. So it's actually inspired by A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's not like you're short of ideas, clearly. So why did you choose that as a starting point for your own story?
1: The background to this is after the success of the Stormkeeper series, the publisher Puffin approached me and they asked me if I wanted to reimagine Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol for the 150th anniversary of his death, which is this year, and also to coincide with the 80th birthday of Puffin, the publisher, which is also this year. Mm -hmm. And so they said, are you familiar with it? Is it something that you would be interested in? And, you know, perhaps unsurprisingly, A Christmas Carol is my favorite Christmas story of all time. And not (laughs) only do I love the original, there's, you know, there's so many different remakes and reimaginings of it, like The Muppets' Christmas Carol, which is one of my favorite movies. It's an absolute classic. Oh, a classic. Dare I say, (laughs) is it better than the original? Maybe. It's definitely a conversation worth having, that one. There (laughs) there are serious conversations to be had around that. So I mean, immediately I said, I'd love to do it. You know, it, it it was such a dream come true. I felt like I was, you know, the right person to do it because I love the original text so much. And I desperately wanted to have a go at bringing it into the 21st century, you know, setting it in modern London and, and sort of adding a whole host of new characters that seemed like the most fun challenge I could think of. So I didn't even hesitate to say yes, you know. <laughs> so how much did you keep the book in mind as you wrote? Or did you just have
0: an idea of it in your head and then, and then go off in your own direction?
1: I think I wanted it to feel slightly similar to the original. So if, if you have read the original, you'll recognize certain names and characters like Scrooge and Marley, and there'll be sort of little Easter eggs that you might pick up on. But I think of it more as a complete reimagining of the story. And so I have a whole host of new characters and the setting is very modern. You know, it's today's London. So I think I sort of took a general idea and then I ran <laughs> in the opposite direction with it and really tried to make it utterly new.
0: Yeah, and and I think you succeeded that. I don't recall Charles Dickens having a naughty elf as part of the cast. I mean, maybe maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I don't remember that in, in the original, I have to say. I had to
1: say to myself, what did Charles Dickens leave out? <laughs> and the answer came to me immediately. He forgot to put in a giant purple reindeer who is the estranged brother of Rudolph <laughs> and he forgot to put in a very chatty elf on the shelf and i thought i'll just add them into mine i'll i'll pick up the slack for him
0: <laughs> thank goodness you did catherine i would really love it if you could read a bit from the book for us so i'm going to pause the recording for a moment while you pick up the book and f- and find the right page and then we'll come back and our listeners can hear a little bit of what the miracle on ebenezer street is all about Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with our fabulous guest for this episode, Catherine Doyle. So, Catherine, you're going to read to us from your latest book, The Miracle on Ebenezer Street, which is a reimagining of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Um, Before you read, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about what's going on in the story at this point? Just put everyone in the picture.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, 10-year-old George Bishop has just come back from a nightly miraculous adventure to Christmas past where he dragged his sort of Scrooge-like father, Hugo, to try and convince Hugo that Christmas was really quite special and it should be brought back to their house. And it was not a successful adventure. So Hugo has been very cranky ever since (laughs) and he has stormed off to work and George feels like his miracle is never going to work and he's never going to bring Christmas back. So he's gone over to the park across the road from his house and he's sort of sulking and he's thinking about his mum, who he really misses and he's sort of giving up on his magical snow globe, which is the thing that sets the miracle into motion. So this happens when he's sitting on the park bench. George set to work, losing himself in the flow of his drawing, where once it had seemed impossible to put pencil to paper, now he couldn't seem to stop. He wasn't anywhere near as talented as his mum, but when he sketched, the rest of the world melted away. He felt closer to her somehow. He felt like he was sending a message, to himself and to her. I won't forget you, no matter what. After a while, the bench creaked under the weight of a new visitor. George kept his eyes on his drawing, even as the ruffling pages of a newspaper disturbed the air beside his left ear. Instinctively, he grabbed his snow globe and settled it safely in his lap. "'Nice trinket,' came a man's voice from behind the newspaper. George glanced up at him. "'Not really. It's broken.' The man turned a page. "'Have you tried switching it on and off again?' "'It's a snow globe,' said George. "'It doesn't have a switch.' "'Then how can it be broken?' George frowned. It just is. The man hmmmed as he turned another page. Do you like cake? Of course, said George quickly. Who doesn't like cake. Well, quite, agreed the man. I was just thinking to myself that it takes more than one layer to make a particularly good cake. Wouldn't you agree? I suppose, said George slowly. Well, said the man thoughtfully, perhaps it takes more than one good shake to make a miracle. George blinked in surprise. He was sure he hadn't mentioned anything about a miracle just now. Had he? What do you mean? He said cautiously. I mean, the next time you shake that thing, put some thought into it. Some intention. Then see what happens. The man's response stunned George into momentary silence. The man gave his newspaper a good ruffle "'You know I think they're quite alike in that way, in fact,' he went on. "'Cake and miracles. They're always well-received. "'They bring about a most pure form of joy, "'and of course they're both becoming increasingly gluten-free.' George frowned. "'I think that last one is just cakes.' "'Ah, my mistake.' "'It was then that George noticed the date on the man's newspaper. "'1843.' "'Hey! You're... "'Out of place entirely, you're quite right.' The man rose quickly to his feet and folded his newspaper in two. He jammed it under his arm. Beneath the shade of his unusually tall hat, George caught the telltale gleam of ice-blue eyes, the rim of wired spectacles balanced on the very tip of his nose. I must be off. George jumped up. Wait, it's you. I, you don't mind if I leave a little Christmas behind, do you? Marley reached into his pocket and hung a small white flake in the air, where it floated quite impossibly all on its own. He flicked it once with his index finger. It began to twirl faster and faster and faster and then it started to snow.
0: Oh, that's given me goosebumps and I didn't want it to <laughs> stop, but now I need to go back and read it again. I've only just finished it, but that makes me want to go back and read the whole thing all over again. <laughs> I just love the way that you bring magic into the ordinary world. Our listeners might like to know, or they may well already know, that this is a writing technique called magic realism, where a writer blends realistic storytelling, so talking about a world that we can all recognise with with supernatural elements as as if that were the most natural thing in the world to happen. Is that a technique that naturally appeals to you, Catherine?
1: Yeah, I think... Because I love writing magic so much, I always like to make it as believable as possible, as quickly as possible. And so I always think that a good way to make your magic or your magic system really work for you and for the reader is to begin your story in the real world somewhere that's very recognizable. So in the house or in your garden or you know, by the seaside, and then have your character sort of accidentally slip into this sense of magic. So it could be something as simple as going through a wardrobe, you know, like in the the Chronicles of Narnia, or falling down a rabbit hole from the real world, like um, in the case of Alice in Wonderland. Or in the case of The Miracle on Ebenezer Street, George goes to Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park, and he's sort of walking along these Christmas cabins, and he sees one tucked away at the very end. And on the cabin, there's a sign that says, Marley's Christmas curiosity, enter at your own whimsy. So George goes inside and once he steps through that door, he sort of finds himself in a treasure trove full of magical trinkets. And that's where he finds the snow globe that takes him on all of these Christmas journeys. And that's really George's step through from the real world into a slightly more magical, more mysterious world.
0: I think the moments in the story where where the magic actually happens, the the transformation. So there's a bit where the character steps out of the painting, for example, and then another bit where the characters fall into a a painting. And it's it's so fantastic. And I wonder if the fact that it's set in an ordinary room, in in an ordinary house, just gives you the freedom to be really extravagant with your magic.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So George lives, as you may have guessed, at number seven, Ebenezer Street, with his dad and his nan and his cat, Coco. And like you said, everything in the house is, you know, completely normal, just as the park across the street is completely normal. But once he has the snow globe in his possession, it means that magic can sort of find him at any time (laughs) from any place. And so the very first really magical scene I got to write was when George's slumbering peacefully and glumly by the fire late at night and his great-great-grandfather Walter Bishop sort of bursts out of his oil painting above the mantelpiece and sort of gets stuck and he needs George to yank him out and once George stands up and makes that decision to pull his grandfather out of the frame and and in doing so pull magic out with him it kind of sets into motion this rip-roaring magical adventure that sucks George and his unsuspecting father you know back into the painting which takes them way back in time to a sort of uh, a Christmas past.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And the, the the characters in the book are really interesting as well. So in the bit that you read just now, there was the mysterious Marley. And and obviously that is a name and a character that's that's drawn from Dickens' original. Tell us a little bit more about Marley and why you decided that he would definitely be a part of your story, whereas perhaps some other of the original characters wouldn't.
1: Okay so I'm I'm so glad you asked me about Marley because <laughs> <laughs> he's brilliant. I absolutely the reason I love Marley so much is because obviously in the original Christmas Carol Marley is Scrooge's dead business partner and his appearance early on in the story sort of sets into motion these three journeys to Christmas past, Christmas present and Christmas future. So obviously he's an important character but he's kind of a minor character in the original. But in A Muppet's Christmas Carol, <laughs> for some reason, there are two Marleys and they have this song called Marley and Marley. <laughs> There's these two sort of ridiculous puppets who sing this song that is, I think, one of the catchiest songs <laughs> that I've ever heard at Christmas time. And so because I saw that When I was quite young, it really stuck in my head. The idea that the Muppets, when they were remaking it, took Marley and they doubled him and made him two characters. (laughs) So I thought, I want to do something sort of special with my version of Marley. And I didn't want him to be this sort of glum character who appears in chains and is like, be careful. Because I thought that was kind of grim and a little bit creepy. So I made my version of Marley this sort of mysterious old man who has this magical Christmas curiosity shop full of magical Christmas adventures. And as George goes through his, his attempt at bringing Christmas back and trying to make this miracle work, Marley sort of pops up every now and then to sort of give him a little bit of hope and to sort of encourage him to keep going and keep trying. And he sort of becomes like a, a guiding figure who's always mysteriously hovering in the background and trying to help George without being too obvious about it. And so he ended up just becoming a really lovable, fun character to write. And he's he's just become my favorite character, probably in the book.
0: He is. He made me think that in the movie, he should be played by, well, if not Gene Wilder, then, then certainly Johnny Depp. There, there's there's a hint of the, of the Willy Wonka about him, I think.
1: Yeah, he's unusual. He's kind of weird, but in a really good way. And I like weird and wonderful characters. So I thought <laughs> I've got to put one, at least one, in my book.
0: Definitely. And as we said earlier, this, this is definitely not a rewriting or a retelling of A Christmas Carol. This is a, a reimagining. So you can't go through the story and point at all the characters and all the situations and say, well, this equals that, or this situation is the equivalent of that situation. Was that really important to you to keep it as very much its own story?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wanted it to be so different that it felt fresh and totally original to anybody who was, you know, reading it and then keep little nuggets in that would be recognizable and almost fun, like a where's Wally? <laughs> where's Scrooge? <laughs> the main difference, I think, for me, which really sets it apart from the original is I wanted the main character not to be sort of a curmudgeon old man called Scrooge. I wanted it to be you know, a 10 year old boy who's really missing his mom and really missing Christmas and just sort of wants to bring the magic and joy of Christmas back to his house again for good. Yeah. And actually. It's George's father, Hugo, who's trapped in his own grief and is glum and sad and and doesn't really have any time or interest in in joy or Christmas anymore, who becomes the Scrooge-like character of the story. And actually, it's up to George to sort of drag his father, kicking and screaming, onto all of these magical journeys with magical companions to try and remind him that, you know, life is still worth living and Christmas is still worth celebrating. And I think that difference really is the thing that turns it into its own its own story really, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's about carrying themes
0: through, isn't it? So so the theme of disappearing into your own grumpiness or, or your own sadness and then needing to be pulled out of that, that that's a theme that is is timeless. And universal and and the joy of of the miracle on Ebenezer Street is you can read it and be very familiar with A Christmas Carol and and feel all smug as you spot the points that reference points in the original. But you could also pick it up having never even heard of A Christmas Carol and you still get a complete story, a complete experience and, and you're exploring those same themes.
1: That's right. And then there are things that are, of course, massively modern that have nothing to do with a Christmas carol. And that yes. be, you know, a giant purple reindeer. You're not going to find that in the original. And I think that was what was so fun about it. When you're reimagining something, you have a huge level of imaginative freedom, really. And so you can make it as funny or silly or, or magical as, as you want. And that's really what I tried to do.
0: Absolutely. I love the idea. My 15-year-olds are studying a Christmas carol for their GCSEs this year, and I'm quite tempted to give them your book and say, "No, no, this is like like the, the student notes," and then see if the giant purple reindeer comes up in one of their essays.
1: <laughs> this is virtually the same book. <laughs> exactly.
0: So, from what you said earlier, you were sort of inspired to write this by other people suggesting that you might. I just wondered if there were any other classic novels or favorite books That you've
1: ever thought might inspire you to reimagine them that's a really good question you know it's funny because if you would ask me this question two years ago this would have been the book that i chose Uh this has always been the book it just it's been with me since i was you know a little girl the only other books that i am particularly fond of in a very sort of nostalgic way like when i was a child are probably the chronicles of narnia and i don't think <laughs> would i dare <laughs> to, to touch them i think probably what i would do and what I, i'm going to be doing in my next books after um, stormkeeper finishes is doing a, an ode or an homage in a way to narnia but like i said very much in my own in my own way in my own style but apart from that this is probably the main the main book that's been with me for as long as i can remember
0: well, it was very lucky that they came to you to write it then, wasn't it? Or maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe it was a touch
1: of Christmas magic. I think it was a miracle. of a t- My miracle <laughs> was, was getting this opportunity. And it's a one, one in a million thing that, that that would ever happen to me as an author. And it, it did feel a little bit like fate. And as I was writing it, you know, in the depths of sort of summer... <laughs> <laughs> trying to write a Christmas book in summer I really felt you know the story poured out of me and I I really felt sort of alive with Christmas magic and it, it felt special as I was writing it and I felt proud of it from beginning to end which is I think unusual particularly for me as an author you don't always feel like what you're writing is is particularly good or you, you have good days and bad days but but this as I was writing it it felt right the whole way through and
0: rightly so and the great thing is that we all get to read it which is fantastic (laughs) Catherine we're getting close to the end of our time for this episode but I did just want to remind all the parents and teachers listening that we produce a special free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom so the children can take what they hear and then use it to feed into their own writing giving it that professional polish and, and picking up on the tips and advice that they get from the authors we speak to you can find the packs at plazoom.com. Details are in the episode notes. Catherine, I'm really keen to find out what you might be up to next, as we have agreed you are definitely not the most predictable writers. So I'm just going to pause recording again for a moment, and then we'll be back to see what direction you might be thinking about now. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with my lovely guest for this episode, Catherine Doyle. So, Catherine, we've already established that you're not the kind of author who likes to be pinned down to a particular genre. So I'm wondering what might be next for you, a recipe book? some epic poetry perhaps. <laughs> I'm
1: writing the next Bond movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> well, the next thing that's coming just around the corner in March is the final book in the Stormkeeper trilogy, oh, which is called The Stormkeeper's Battle, and it is a sort of an epic culmination of the first two books and I'm really excited for people to read that. And then after that, uh, the next thing that I write, which I'm actually currently writing right now, but I will say I'm in the early stages, so I can't say too much about it because I don't quite know (laughs) how it's going to turn out. But that will be another magical middle grade adventure with a new cast of characters finding their way into uh, an enchanting kingdom. I suppose is the best. That's what it will most likely be.
0: <laughs> That's exactly the kind of thing we like on Author in Your Classroom. And perhaps you'll let us know when you're allowed to tell us a bit more about that. That would be lovely. We're really nearly out of time now, but I do know that a lot of our listeners will be sitting there. They'll be bursting with ideas for their own stories. They might have their own enchanted worlds in their heads and characters to put in them. And they might be dreaming of a day when when one day they'll go into a shop or a library and they'll see a book on the shelf and it'll have their name on the cover just
1: just like yours Catherine what advice would you give them so here are my quick fire pieces of advice the first before you start writing I always say read 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 so read as many books as you possibly can as often as you can because I think the more that you read the more you sort of soak up that ability to tell stories in a in a really sort of seamless natural way The second piece of advice is write down all of your ideas the second that you have them. And before you start writing your own story, try and do a little bit of a plan about what you're going to say and where you're going to say it and how it's going to happen, because the better your structure is before you start, the easier it will be to write your story. And then I always advise people, if you're stuck for characters or you want to make your world seem a little bit more real, particularly if your world is full of sort of madcap magic, the best way to do that is with real seeming characters. And if you're struggling to come up with characters that are grounding the story, just look around your real life at your grand or your brother or your dog or your cat and just steal them and then write them into your story exactly as they are. Change one or two details so they don't sue you later on when you become rich and famous. And that's a really easy way to ground your story and make it feel really real to the reader. And once the reader believes your characters, they'll go anywhere your characters go and they'll believe any sort of magic that your characters encounter. And then my final piece of advice is always don't give up and keep going. Every single day, I doubt what I'm writing. But that's, I think, a normal part of being a creative person. So even if you're not feeling confident in your story one day, keep keep going, even if it's just a sentence or two or a paragraph or two every day or every week. Because the key is really, if you want to be an author, don't give up.
0: That is fantastic advice, Catherine. And thank you so much for being our guest for this episode. It's been really great talking to you. And as I say, I'm going to go back and I'm going to reread The Miracle on Ibaneza Street now every week until Christmas, I think. (laughs) Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And and to all our
0: listeners, thank you for being here too. It really (laughs) wouldn't be the same without you. Please do subscribe if you haven't already. We've got plenty more amazing guests lined up for future episodes and we'll be Back very soon with the next author to be introduced to your classroom goodbye author in your classroom is brought to you by plazoom where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATs revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com, where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible, so please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen. With author in your classroom and plazoom.